classic rock files. Right. On 94.3 The Drive. Winnipeg's Classic Rock. Kelly Parker with 94.3 The Drive. Music director Mike Young. Hi, Kelly. Okay, we talked last week about this story uh, with the firings and the drama and the lawsuits in Journey. Late last week, a follow-up story came out that is highly intriguing, revealing that Journey is paying Steve Perry a lot of money not to perform with them. Yeah, the best things about these lawsuit stories are the court filings because there's often a lot of information in there that the public has no knowledge of mm-hmm. that has to be disclosed in the case of these financial agreements between band members. And the Steve Perry one is particularly interesting because, uh, of course, Steve Perry left the group in 1997. Now, the whole thing centers around this Nightmare Productions group. It was a 1986 agreement with the band's original manager, Walter Herbert. That contract was then amended in 97 when Perry split and Kane and Schoen were allowed to take over the license, but at a cost, and that cost went to Steve Perry. Court documents show that Journey was required to pay Steve Perry a sum total of 50 of the net income due to both Sean and Kane, whichever was higher from the first two post-Perry Journey albums. And then Steve Perry was supposed to receive 25%, I guess he does because this isn't contested, 25% of the same net income from their third studio project without him, and then 12.5% from every Journey album that follows. And all those figures, they're calculated after expenses. So it is a slightly reduced amount. Yeah, this isn't the gross. It's, it's, I guess it's the net, I guess, in that case. Yeah, I don't know why they didn't just say net, but still, big coinage. Now, of course, Journey have released four albums and an EP since Perry left. The first two studio LPs and EP featured uh, Steve Aguirre. Arnold Pineda sings on the most recent pair of albums. However, it doesn't just stop at album releases because, you know, albums aren't the way musicians make the bulk of their money mm-hmm. uh, in this day and age. So, and pe- given that this was done in the late 90s before Napster and before the music industry was turned upside down, Steve Perry, good businessman. Yeah, and whoever's lawyer is, I hope, got a decent cut of this wow. thing. Perry made a similar deal on revenue from Journey's live dates. Again, 50% of net income from the first two tours after the split, 25% from the third tour, and then 12.5% from every tour in till the end of time, basically. Net income, again, means Sean or Kane's share, whichever's greater of all revenues earned. That includes tour merchandise, tour sponsorship income, any tour support payments, expenses can again be deducted, and that's excluding any salaries paid to any member of Journey. The reason Steve Perry hasn't been all that active in the music business, he doesn't have to be active in the music business until he put out that album last year, which has to be just an artistic thing. Any money is a bonus because he's making scads of cash from all these revenue streams still from Journey. Yeah. Never mind the royalties. Albums, touring, and also same percentages we just talked about apply as well to miscellaneous income, not specifically covered by the album or touring agreements. In all cases, there was also a floor on how little Journey could claim as net income. No event shall the income be less than 20% of the total amount earned, and Perry shall not be responsible for any losses in connection with that new Journey entity. Wow. And also, if you were around back when Steve Perry left journey and bought one of those next albums of steve aguirre fronting the group you would have noticed a sticker and that was also required by steve perry a sticker that was indicating that there was a new lead singer and the name of that new lead singer would be placed in a clear manner on that sticker and if that first album did not sell one million copies the second album would have a similar sticker on its initial release as well so if you're worried about steve perry's um 
income, thinking maybe he came back, finally made the album a year or so ago because he needed the cash. Oh, he doesn't need the cash. He's got the publishing. He's got the writing credits. He's got all those royalties. He's got the recording royalties. And then he's got all of this. Yeah, so if you ever had wondered to yourself, well, why don't these guys just make up and get back together and, you know, Steve Perry rejoin Journey for a tour? He doesn't need to. So no. why go back to a situation where he has said himself was very stressful at times and put himself back in there for no reason other than the love of the music, if that still exists for him? Yeah. You know, he doesn't need the money. The idea of Journey getting back together with Steve Perry as vocalist, that's dead in the water now to yeah. me. That dream is dead. Absolutely. Just hope he tours. If you want to see Steve Perry, hope he tours on his own. He had to climb out and somehow get out of his rooms full of money just to join them <laughs> on like, stage for the Rock Hall of Fame induction. It wasn't depression that put him on the sidelines. It was no. just him having to swim out of his Scrooge McDuck vault. Yeah. The bill is just piling up. <laughs> yeah. That is, I've never heard of anything like that in any other band, any other act of the music You wonder how, mu how much it has happened now, though. Just maybe the, the, the filings haven't been revealed because they don't need to be. It's private maybe. business. If this lawsuit end have come up, that would still be under lock and key. Right. But in order for this lawsuit to happen, that all had to be disclosed and Steve Perry and how much of an integral part of the books that he is, even though he's not in the band. Maybe that's why we haven't seen much of Gary Cherron since he was with Van Halen for a while. All Maybe those... he made one of these deals. Yeah, I don't Maybe he gets him. a piece of everything Van Halen ever did. Okay. Longstanding rumor that Michael Bolton auditioned for Black Sabbath is apparently true. Tony Iommi has admitted this. Yeah, and if you just know Michael uh, Bolton from a little time, love, and tenderness, uh, you would be shocked to know that his career actually began in the heavy rock genre in the 70s. He had a band called Blackjack. They opened for Ozzy Osbourne before a uh, change of style led him to fame in the 80s. Bolton previously denied the suggestion that he tried out for Osbourne's job around 1983, saying, that rumor about me auditioning for Sabbath was only a rumor. I don't know how on earth it started. So Tony Iommi is now presenting his own recollections from when Sabbath was searching for a replacement for Ronnie James Dio. This is in 82. He says, I found David Coverdale, and he says, oh, geez, I just got this band together, Whitesnake. Why didn't you find me before? Iommi said, well, he hadn't left before. It's happening now. <laughs> You know what? You know who's logical? Tony Iommi. He told uh, another interviewer, so there's a lot of looking for another singer, and we would audition various singers, including Michael Bolton, believe it or not. He was one of them, which is an odd one. It just went on a bit, and we couldn't decide. And then they, of course, eventually settled on Ian Gillen, who only stayed long enough to record the 83 album Born Again and tour on that album before being replaced by Glenn Hughes. Yeah, and then, of course, uh, Glenn Hughes lasted a very short time as well, uh, inevitably replaced by Tony Martin before uh, Dio would rejoin the group and then Ozzy would rejoin the group and now we're left with Sabbath um, gone after over 50 years of, of making music. Yeah, but there was this story around Ian Gillen too. We got together with Ian Gillen, says Iommi. We had a meeting. Ian doesn't seem to remember that meeting. He got too drunk, couldn't remember what happened. He said, that was great. We had a great time. Again, it was good. It's challenging. Somebody else is singing. Sort of gets you into a different vibe, and we wanted to make it a really heavy sort of album, but we worked at different hours because Ian would tend to stay up all night, and we wouldn't. So he'd be up drinking his scotch in the kitchen. We'd go to bed, get up in the morning, and he's still there. You know who likes a good dram of scotch? Ian Gillen. He's just a child in time. Good work. The next thing we're going to find out is that Kenny G auditioned at some point because we all know about his early days in death metal. The original uh, saxophonist for Bob Seger. Sorry, Alto Reed, it was Kenny G. <laughs> okay, finally here, Bruce Dickinson has called out singers once again who use teleprompters during live performances. I didn't know he'd called them out the first time, and I don't know why he would, but a teleprompter, or as he refers to it, an auto cue, it's a box on the floor, essentially a computer monitor that scrolls the lyrics as the song goes on. Example. 
Gord Downey used six of them all around the stage for the final hip tour. It's so that they can read the lyrics of the songs. Uh, it's what those uh, two glass things are when the president speaks, any presidents, what those two glass things are. That is actually a teleprompter. Okay, so Dickinson called out people, including priests Rob Halford and Ozzy. He brought up the topic of singers relying on teleprompters during a spoken word performance on Friday night in Germany, particularly clowning Rob Halford for using one. But I don't use an auto cue on stage. I don't use a lot of singers now. They just have the words there, you know, breaking the law, breaking the law, breaking the law, breaking the law, breaking the what? Breaking the law, breaking the law. Now, the thing about that is that's not the first time that he's called out Rob Halford. In 2014, there was an interview with the Guardian newspaper, and he said, I never realized that people were using auto cues. What's that all about? People pay good money, and you can't even remember the sodding words. Yeah, this has been long contested if, if it's, you know, the right thing to do. We, you talked about Gord Downey. Obviously, there was a extenuating circumstances mm-hmm. uh, where his mind wasn't functioning uh, the way it was in his prime. Ozzy Osbourne, the same thing. At this point, you know, his mind is not young Ozzy's mind and he's out there and he's playing and he can still perform to a level he's happy with and I guess the fans paying the money are happy to pay the money so they're happy with it so he has the words as well and I don't think these guys are sitting up there reading word for word but it's there if they need it. Well sure if they blank there's a lot going on. And I I get that he's picking on on Rob Halford breaking the law breaking the law but there are other Judas Priest (laughs) songs that don't just have an ongoing chorus like this. Bruce is very active on stage. He is all over the place. He's running up and down Mm -hmm. and you know he's He's really dialed in his show and his performance, and it's just that a lot of his contemporaries, and not even a lot, just a few of his peers, can't do the same thing. There's plenty of artists that can sing and are have been playing much longer than Bruce Dickinson has. You know, Mick Jagger, uh, Roger mm-hmm. Daltrey, Robert Plant. You know, these guys aren't using the auto cues. It just brains all work differently, and some people need that safety net in right. case something were to happen. Now, the first thing is, uh, Halford said it didn't bother him at all. He says they're good buddies, and that was just what he was thinking at the time, but I personally don't have any problem whatsoever with anybody using teleprompters. You mentioned Robert Plant and Roger Daltrey. I don't know that they don't use teleprompters. The first time I saw it was uh, Rush back in the early 2000s, I guess. Getty was using one. Now, there's a perfect example. The lyrics to any Rush song, and, and imagine putting a set together, and now Getty's he's singing. He's playing bass. He's playing bass with his feet sometimes. He's playing keyboards. He's jumping around. There's a lot going on on stage, as well as a bunch of lighting cues, stage effects cues, all of these things that are happening to remember every single lyric and not expect, not expect them to have a brain fart once in a while and forget a lyric. That's why those things are there. I have literally zero problem with it. No, I don't want to see someone up there reading. You know, yeah. but if it's just there, it's like, hey, I need to glance over or, you know, I just did this huge 20 minute drum solo. And where am I coming back in and what verse are we on? Because I've forgotten, you know, yeah. here it is. I can quickly take a peek and see it doesn't or, affect anything. I'd rather them be having lyrics written out than having backing vocals over yeah. top of their existing. Vocal, or something vocals, happens so. on stage. Some unexpected thing happens. Somebody tosses something from the audience. It's good to have that thing down there. Where was I? What what exactly part of the song was I in? I have zero problem with it. And if you go on, you could do a Google image search and basically any shot, I think, of most bands that you'll see, take it from backstage, you'll see that teleprompter there. So I'm not sure. You know what? I suspect Dickinson has a chip planted in his brain, and that's why he doesn't need one, because he is running around. I'm more concerned that he and I have the exact same hairstyle right now. That is true, based on that video. I don't know who I should be concerned about. In any case, you know what, Bruce Dickinson? Get off your horse. Everybody's You're using You're saying them. it's too high. The horse is too high right way now. too high, and he's a little fella. That's a long way for him to fall. He is.
That is the classic rock files. 94.3 The Drive music director, Mike Young. Thank you. Thank you.